Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. Parenting, as we know it, has changed over the last 20 years. If you ask someone who had children even five years apart, they'll tell you it's even changed in that period of time. So imagine what parenting looked like hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's something Claire McFadden is considering. She's from the School of Archaeology and Anthropology at the ANU, and she's trying to build a picture of what family life looked like in deep history. Hi, Claire. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Listen, I just used the term deep history, but I actually hadn't heard that term before I read about your research. What does it refer to? Um, So when we talk about deep history, we're usually talking about a period which ironically predates history, so predates historical records. So it means we're working with things like um, archaeological evidence or even fossil evidence as opposed to written records or um, some other form of um, cultural evidence that translate into language. So I'm in thinking here, the first thing I thought of when I was reading about deep history was the First Nations peoples of Australia, given that their history is like 60,000 years old and it was mostly an oral tradition. Um, Is that the kind of uh, human history that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely. In terms of um, modern humans, so Homo sapiens as we know them, we are looking at uh, populations that go back to sort of 120, 150,000 years ago. Um, And beyond that, we're also looking at our hominin ancestors, so uh, Neanderthals and, and even further back in our lineage as well. So it all sounds so fascinating. How do you piece together um, those elements of life over time so long ago with no written record and, and like you say, from fossil evidence, that kind of thing? How do you actually build a picture of what it might have been like? Yeah, so it's really patchy evidence, as you've suggested. Um, So it's quite a lot of piecing together. But we find um, some really, really fascinating pieces of evidence. So we have biological evidence. So uh, that's primarily human skeletal remains. And the amount of information we can gain from that is just incredible. So We can learn um, about the illnesses that they may have suffered. We can learn about the illnesses they suffered um, specifically in childhood. Uh, And we can learn about the age that they typically survived until. We can learn a bit about women in particular. Um, Maternal mortality was obviously sadly happening at a much higher rate before modern medicine. And we can learn about infant mortality as well. So we have some really fascinating things that we can learn there. We then also have cultural evidence. There's very early evidence of what appears to be children's toys which have been preserved in the archaeological record. And then in terms of sort of piecing some of these things together to create a bit of a story, one example that I like to use is around care. So we sort of think as care and altruistic behaviours as being quite a modern phenomenon. Um, Mm. But we have evidence that shows 
individuals with severe disabilities or severe diseases based on what we can see from their skeleton who have lived to an age that they couldn't have lived to without the assistance of the people in their community or their family. So we have people who um, would have needed to be fed, would have needed to be given water, would have needed to be washed and cleaned and all the sanitation side of things. Uh, and they've lived for, you know, up to a couple of decades with these conditions, which means someone or some people are providing a great deal of care. And so what we sort of piece together from all of these bits of information, we're getting a picture that people for a very, very long time have cared about their family members. We imagine this extends to their children and that they've provided them with toys to play with, that if they've needed care because of illness or disability, that they've been providing that and that they probably had empathetic and, and loving relationships that are very similar to our own. So that's something as people today that we kind of look back in history and make this judgment right that um because it was so long ago because there was no uh enlightenment uh, you know the enlightenment was well in the future and um industrialization and all the things that have made us modern thinking humans today with as you say that tendency to care for each other and uh be altruistic there's this assumption that any human life before those times was quite brutal and unsophisticated. Yeah. And you've just pointed to evidence that showed that we were more caring and altruistic than people might think. Would you say that the assumption that ancient peoples or people from deep history were in some way primitive, I mean, we use the word primitive because they didn't have the technology, but mm. primitive in terms of their relationships, their thought patterns, those sorts of things. Do you think that's misguided, that idea? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, and I don't think it's come from, well, I mean, in some cases it may have come from a negative place, but I don't think in all cases it has. I think it's just that we haven't had the evidence to explore what these relationships may have looked like as, as much as we do today. So we, we increasingly have an evidence base to use and to analyse. But what's really exciting is I think with more progressive thinking in this space, the way we're piecing the information together is changing. And that example I gave of um, individuals who have survived due to care, I think is a really good example. Because if you look at that in isolation, you know, you've got case studies where we see adults have, who have survived. But um, a lot of the conditions that, that cause these sort of disabilities would be present in childhood. So it becomes very clear evidence that this was an individual that was cared for in childhood and through um, their adult years um, until the time that they died. And I think that's where the sort of progressive thinking is really occurring at the moment is, is how we actually piece together these stories from different sources. So are you able to get a sense then of what family life was like? So you mentioned there was evidence of toys that um, obviously someone loved and nurtured children who also had disabilities and it possibly wasn't as brutal as we thought in terms of how you know survival of the fittest and all that kind of stuff um do you have any sense of what day-to-day -day life was like for example the role of mothers in that society yeah it's it is quite difficult but I think 
we're sort of shifting from a view that that individuals in a community, including mothers and including children, were really sort of the subjects of their environment and the conditions that they were living in. And we're now moving to a space where we think that they're the agents. So they're the people who are making decisions. They're the people who are taking control, just as we do now. So you know, when the weather's bad now, we decide to, you know, go indoors and those sorts of things, which is like a very simplistic example. But there's previously sort of been this belief held that when resources were low, women, the fertility rate in the community would drop, but there was no sort of consideration of why that is. And of course, the why is that women would choose not to have children at a time when there's not resources, because they think, I'm not going to be able to support my baby. This is not a good time to have a child. And I think, you know, family planning was probably a pretty big part of ancient life because you would have to be very conscious of the resources available or things like if you're living in a highly mobile community, whether you might be moving on at some point soon and whether you you have the capacity to walk long distances when you're heavily pregnant or, you know, with a child in your arms. So I think we're sort of starting to get a sense that even if we don't know exactly what day-to-day life looks like, we're starting to understand that the role that women had was probably a lot more, um, they had a lot more agency in it and that that agency has had a much stronger influence on human prehistory than we previously thought as well. Your latest research uh, was looking at infant mortality rates. Mm. So again, possibly quite surprising results uh, if we think back to the time when there was no medicine in the sense that we know it today, technologies were completely different. The infant mortality rate was possibly not as high as we might have expected. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. So, you know, the evidence is quite difficult to interpret sometimes. When we see that there's a lot of infants um, that have died in a community, it's actually a better representation of how many infants were born. Um, so it tends to actually suggest that there were there was a high fertility rate and a lot of infants being born. When we think about infant mortality, it is so multifaceted. You know, there's definitely things today that that can be prevented now but couldn't have been prevented in the past and then you know things like antibiotics and various medical interventions thankfully save so many lives but when you have sort of quite small communities depending on where they may be located um, and how much contact they have with other communities there are um, some communities that probably had you know reasonably low rates of infectious disease And if you have a small community, you also potentially have more capacity to have members of that community helping out with the care of a child. So I think in terms of infant mortality, we tend to think that the medical interventions are the things that make the biggest difference. But I think that it's a lot more multifaceted than that. And I think, you know, we have to think about the 
exposure to to the sorts of diseases that we're saying now oh, well, we've got interventions that can save lives but if the exposure to those diseases is lower because you're in a smaller more isolated community then whether you have an in- intervention or not is not really necessary so it may come down to more so you know the resources available often genetic conditions even today sadly are untreatable so that they may not operate in a particularly different way in the past to how they do now and then when we look at non-human primates we see things like infants being killed in in some monkey um, and chimp populations out of competitiveness Uh, And again, the sort of social values that I guess we're we're starting to potentially pick up on in some of these early human societies um, suggests that that may not have been going on. So a lot to consider. (laughs) Um, But my my hunch from everything I've observed in a whole lot of populations from around the world with the data that we have is I think it was probably quite variable. I think there were probably populations that had quite low infant mortality whether that was by virtue of the fact that they weren't exposed to infectious diseases or maybe they were in areas of the world where there were lower rates of malaria maybe they had very good dietary resources available and those sorts of things and then I imagine there are probably um, populations where infant mortality was higher due to exposure to those things. It's fascinating stuff, Claire. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's Claire McFadden from the School of Archaeology and Anthropology at the ANU. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time. Mm